You are now listening to Message One from the 2010 Daughters of the King Women's Retreat with guest speaker Sharon Thomas. I love women's ministry, and it looks like you guys have an amazing one going on. I've heard great things about Phyllis, and I've really enjoyed getting to know her. But I love women's ministry because I truly believe that God wants to do amazing things through and in his daughters. And that's really what we're going to be talking about this weekend, about being a daughter of the king. You know, the Lord has really impressed it upon my heart that we have to begin in one way this weekend. And that is by asking all of us, myself included, a question. Are you a daughter of the King? Are you a daughter of God? And before we go any further, and just as we get started tonight, I think we need to be really, really clear about who is God's daughter and how a woman actually becomes God's daughter. And I really believe that the book of John is very clear about that. And so I want us to turn to 1 John. If you have a Bible with you, I would really encourage you to turn with me. I want to let you know I teach out of the New American Standard Version. You might have something different. That's okay. I still encourage you to get your Bible out, get your hands in it, turn to the Scripture, Get familiar with your word. You need to know this thing. You need to be very comfortable in moving around in it. I'll have it up on the PowerPoint in the version that I'm reading from, but I still would love for you to turn with me to uh, John chapter 1. You know, every one of us is created by God, but let's read and see what John 1 in the first three verses has to say. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now, I like this scripture because it gives Jesus a name, and the name is Word of God. That's what he's called here. And it tells us very clearly that all things came into being by him. So that tells us that he created us. If everything came into being by him, then he created us. So doesn't that make us a child of God? Well, yes. But really, no, as well. See, God created us as his children, ladies, and you know this. But because of sin, our relationship with him changed. And what do I I mean by that? Well, let's kind of just hold on here in in John chapter 1. But let's just take our minds back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 1. You know, when God created us, his plan was that we would know a sweet fellowship with him as his children, you know, as our, as our father, but that's not how it all turned out. And to understand what I mean by that, we really need to understand how God created us. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the image of God, he created us. Male and female, he created. Well, you know what? God... God is three in one. Have you ever heard that before? He's three in one. He's one in three. You know, he's Father, he's Son, he's Holy Spirit. It's very hard for us to really wrap our minds around that mystery of the Lord sometimes. But if we're created in his image, if we study the Word of God, we find out that we are also three in one, one in three. We're three, but we're also one. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, each one of us has a spirit. That's the place where God would dwell within man. Everyone is created with a spirit. You know what? We also have a soul. Did you know that your soul is your mind, it's your will, and it is your emotions? Sometimes the Bible will use the word flesh, and it's the same thing as soul. It's actually the word suke in the Greek. But it's the same thing. It means your mind, your will, and your emotions. How many of you have children out there? 
Now, you might have three kids. They might have the same parents, and yet they have a very different mind. They have a very different will. They have very different emotions, don't they? I mean, I know mine do, and yet they're raised by both my husband and I, and yet they couldn't be any more different. And then I look at my husband and I, and we couldn't be any more different. Well, you know, your soul is what makes you different from somebody else. It's your mind, what you think about, your will, what you want to do, and your emotions, how you feel. And, you know, two people can feel and think and want to do very, very different things. So that's what makes us different. But we also have a body. God gave us a body. Now, we all know that this body is not who we really are. The older I get, I'm glad that's the truth, you know. The Bible, the Bible actually calls our, our body our earthly tent. Now, I don't know about you, and this, this is fine because this isn't really camping. You know, I'm talking tent camping. I don't like tent camping. I don't understand why people do that, you know. And I'm finding the older that I get, this tent leaks a little bit. Some of you who are older, you know what I mean by that. But, you know, and that's one of the other reasons. It takes you a little bit, doesn't it? That's one of the other reasons why, you know, I don't, I don't like camping. And so I'm looking forward to when the Lord comes back and I get to have a new body in heaven. But we are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. Now, in the beginning, everything, spirit, soul, and body of man was in a perfect relationship with God. Because as God is perfect, and everything about Adam and Eve, their spirit, their soul, their body was yielded to the leadership of the spirit of God in that garden. Everything was perfect. Imagine this with a woman. Emotions were just level, you know. Everything was in balance. <laughs> there were no disappointments, no longing, no rejection, no sickness, no pain, no sorrow. It was the perfect father-child relationship, but it didn't stay that way. Now, we all know that Satan came in the form of a serpent. He started talking to Eve, started telling her some different things, and she ended up choosing to do with her mind, her will, and her emotions. Actually, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 6, it says, when Eve saw that the fruit was good for food, when she saw it was a delight to the eyes, when she saw it was desirable to make one wise, she took it and she ate it. In other words, she did what she wanted to do, didn't she? And then she gave some to Adam as well. And you know what that did, ladies? That severed the relationship with God. Now, God had told them, God had said, if you eat of this fruit, of this tree, you can have everything you want. I mean, anything you want in this garden. But if you eat of this fruit, you're surely going to die. Now, you think about it. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. Did they die? No, but yes. Physically, they were still alive, but there was a death. You know what the death was? It was a death of the spirit. The spirit of God could no longer live within man in that place of sin. Eve then became a child of sin because God's life could not be alive in the place of sin. And having no spirit within her anymore, she began to live under the leadership of her own mind, will, and emotions, her soul. And whatever her body decided to do, that's what she was going to do. And you know what, ladies? As a result, every man and woman born after Adam and Eve were children of sin. Okay? So if we read further in Genesis, we find that life became very difficult for women. And I'm sure all of us have our own stories of how that is actually true. Because life without God is death. And there is no life without him, really. Right after this sin, 
God spoke to Eve. He also spoke to Adam, but we're focusing in on Eve. You know, we're kind of got way more um, estrogen in the room, so we're going to focus in on her. But God spoke to Eve, and he placed curses upon her for the choices that were made. And as time went on, we saw this curse of death produce even more and more challenges for Eve. You think about it. In the countenance and counsel of Eve, every female has decided to do her own thing, exactly like Eve. You think about just in the very first half of the book of Genesis, before you even get hardly into this book, division and physical death started happening as Eve watched Cain, her one son, kill the other. Corruption of every kind was taking place by the time you get to Genesis chapter 6. Do you know it says there at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6 that when God looked down upon the earth, he saw that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only toward evil all the time. Six chapters into the book. And that's how much corruption had started for the children that God created in this perfect setting. Think about Sarah and Hagar. There was jealousy and hatred going on between them. Unmet dreams for Rachel, rejection for Leah. And those are just the stories in the first half of Genesis. On and on it goes. What God created as the perfect home for his daughters has become a place of death for them. Now, ladies, that's our history. It's kind of depressing, isn't it? It doesn't sound like much hope. You might think you came all the way from Virginia to tell us that. Come on. Well, we're going to get to the hope part now. There is good news and there is hope because this story doesn't have to end. In fact, the Bible tells us that God knew before he ever created the world that that was the choice that Adam and Eve were going to make. And he already had the plan set in motion of what he was going to do to make a way to bring his children back into his family. So I haven't forgotten about the book of John. We just veered off to Genesis for just a minute. Let's go back to the book of John and look at what it says. If you read in verses 4 and 5 of John chapter 1, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You know, who is him in these verses? It's Jesus. And this tells us that in him was life. You know what that word is for life? It's the word zoe. And it mean, that's the Greek word zoe. And it means the life of God. When Jesus came to earth, he was the light of men because he was carrying within him the life of God. And when Jesus came to earth, he came to rescue us, to shine right out toward us and draw us as his children back to him. But it's very clear that just like this says in verse 5, many don't even comprehend that there is a light. We're not going to read verses 6 through 8. They speak about John the Baptist and how he came to prepare the way for Jesus. And then in verses 9 through 11, it talks about how Jesus shined the light. But although he did, many people chose to not receive it. They were just fine to live out of the way they wanted to live and what they thought and what they felt and whatever their body wanted them to do, well, that's what they would do. They didn't want anything to do with the light. Life without God, though, ladies, is death. There really is no life. In fact, the penalty for a child of sin is death. There's no way out of the mess that we had made for ourselves. But if you keep reading on, this is where the good news continues. In verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Did you hear what that said? 
It says, as many as received him. Who is him? It's Jesus. As many as received him, they have the right to actually become a child of God. This perfect Jesus who came and carried the life of God within him, taking our place on the cross, taking our death upon himself because he is God. He had the power to actually resurrect over death. And John says right here that if we receive Jesus, we can become his child. Now, I asked you a question a few minutes ago. Do you remember what it is? Are you a daughter of God? Are you a daughter of God? See, we become a daughter of God when we receive Jesus into our life. It's not just because he created us, because there was a problem with us after that creation. We chose sin, but God has made a way for us to come back into his family, and that is to receive Jesus, we actually get to become a child of God. Notice this says in John 1, it's not a physical birth. It's not about being born of man and woman. It's not about being born of blood or of water or any of that. It's a spiritual birth. You become his daughter as you say, yes, Jesus, sign me up. I want that in my life. In fact, the Bible actually calls it an adoption. In Galatians 4, we're told that we're no longer children of sin, but that we are God's children because we have been adopted by God. And ladies, this adoption is available to everyone who has received Jesus. You know, I have a friend in Virginia, and she's getting ready to adopt six children. She's 46 years old. She's never had any children. And her and her husband, God has just really laid it on their heart that they are to adopt a sibling group that needs to stay together. And so they're adopting five boys and one girl, ages 3 to 13. She said to me, my life as I know it now, I'm having a funeral for it. So we haven't planned the service yet, but it's coming. But she's so excited, but you know, all these different things going on. You know what? There are so many kids out there in the world going, please, please adopt me. Well, you know what? You don't have to stand in line with Jesus. You don't have to wonder. All you got to do is say, I want to receive Jesus, I want to be brought into that family. As many as receive Jesus, they can become children of God. So I ask you tonight again, as we get started, are you a daughter of God? Let me tell you about my prayer for this weekend as we've been preparing. And even as I go and speak, we have a prayer warrior team back in Virginia that lifts up you and, and what's going on here in this place this weekend. And so they're praying. I shared these same prayer needs with them. And I am praying that every woman is going to leave this place knowing and convinced that she is a daughter of God and also embracing the privilege and the responsibility of what it means to belong to him. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for the blessed privilege of being here in Texas with these sweet women. Lord, I know that each one of them have come here as I have come here, longing to hear from you, longing to know your presence over our lives, Lord. Lord, we're just little girls who need to know that our daddy loves us, that you care about us, that you have brought us into your family. And what does that mean, Lord? Lord, I pray that this weekend you would reveal to each one of us what we need to know from you as our Father, Lord. 
Fathers can see into the hearts of their children. And Lord, you are the perfect father. So you can see into the hearts of every woman in this room, including me, God. And you know where we need you, where we are desperate to hear from you. Lord, you know the places in our hearts that are dry, the things in our lives that need to be touched and healed and ministered to and have truth brought into them and the light shined into them. Lord, you know if there's women in this room who have not become your daughter yet, God. And we just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would come into this place this weekend and minister in ways that only you can as the perfect father. Lord, I pray that we would leave here convinced, knowing we're your daughter, that we would embrace the privilege, we would embrace the responsibility of what it means to belong to you. Thank you, God, that we can call upon your name for these things, Lord, that every day with you truly can be sweeter than the day before. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So as we get started, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to read you a story. <laughs> Some of you may have heard this story before. It's actually written by Beth Moore. It's a little children's book. But I want to read you the story tonight, and I've actually got the pictures up here. It's a, called A Parable About the King. And it's really a parable or an allegory of our relationship to God as his daughter. So just listen and, and look at these pictures. I would do this, but it wouldn't help you much. <laughs> okay. Once upon a time, a young princess became angry with her father, the king. The king had required her obedience to clean her room, but she had countless servants. Why should she pick up after herself? I know what I'll do, the princess said to herself. I'll teach everyone a lesson. I'll run away from home and leave my room messed up just like this. She searched through her dresser drawers for old clothing, pitching what she did not want on the floor. Then she disguised herself up as one of the village peasant girls. Then she quietly slipped out of the castle's secret door. Walking a short distance, the princess soon found herself in a neighborhood lined with markets and merchants. On a narrow back street, she met a group of children playing stickball. She thought to herself, they're having much more fun than I ever have. I'm tired of being a princess. I shall be like them. It wasn't long before the children asked her to play stickball with them. She was so happy, the princess quickly caught on to their game. She elbowed whoever got in the way, just like them. She cursed when she missed the ball, just like them. And when she fell plop, she fell straight into the mud, just like them. Suddenly, a young girl appeared on the corner of the street, and she called out to the children, Come, hurry, something really big is happening on Main Street. When the children reached Main Street, they reached a crowd of people who were ooing and hawing over something. The children shoved and pushed their way through the crowd, only to meet the stares of the finely dressed men and women standing at the front of the group. Go away, you filthy children, one woman said. Incensed, the princess said, I'm no filthy child. I'm a... Her words trailed off. Looking at the children standing around her, she thought to herself, I used to be a princess. Now I'm just like them. With new resolve, she began to elbow her way through the crowd again, purposely getting mud on the hems of the fine dresses and skirts. It's no use, one of the boys finally said. We can't get to the front of the crowd. Hurry, let's go climb that tree over there. All the children managed to climb the tree except for the princess. Trailing behind them, she reassured herself, I can climb this tree. I can because I'm just like them. As she pulled her way to the second branch, a small limb caught the threads of her skirt and threw her off balance. She tumbled out of the tree and fell to the ground with a thump. The adults turned around and peered at her with disgust. The children in the tree laughed and yelled at her, Get up here quick. It's coming. It's coming. She didn't know what was coming, nor did she care at this particular moment. Humiliated and bruised from the fall, she wanted to cry. 
But she was like them, and certainly she couldn't cry, so she cursed instead. Determined, the princess finally made her way up the tree and settled insecurely on a lower branch. What are we looking for anyway, she asked. It's the king, yelled the other kids. Don't you know a king when you see one, they sneered at her. She slowly pulled herself up to the next branch and stretched to see the king. An envoy of dignitaries stood beside a lavish coach. When the door opened, out stepped the king, so tall, so dignified, so royal. Hail, his majesty, the king, an aide, an aide announced. The crowd responded, long live the king. The dignitaries dropped to one knee. The crowd bowed before him. Only the king was left standing. Then one of the boys in the tree whispered to the group, Hey, we have a perfect shot from here. Let's throw our best spitballs right in his face. Horror struck the princess's heart. You can't do that, she pleaded. Why not, the boy demanded. Because he's the king, she said. So what? Big deal, they said as they began to throw spitballs at the king. Stop, the princess cried. Stop, please. That's my father. The tears she had so valiantly held back earlier now spilled down her cheeks. Sure, and my dad is Abraham, they mocked her. No, I mean it. It's true. The king is my father, she pleaded. But the children just laughed harder. Look at you. You're just like us, they sneered. You don't have a father. The princess looked at her father just in time to see him wipe something from his face. He looked up into the tree as the children yelled and cursed at him. Indescribable shame filled her heart. She was sure her father had seen her. But maybe, just maybe, he hadn't recognized her. The princess jumped out of the tree and began to run. As she did, the children started to throw their spitballs right at her. The princess began to run back toward the palace. She ran and ran, stopping, sobbing every step of the way. Stopping to catch her breath, the princess suddenly became aware of her stinging elbows and knees. She was skinned and bleeding from the fall, and she began to cry even harder. Her heart sank, and she felt alone and very frightened. Making her way, way slowly back to the palace, she discovered to her horror that the secret door was now locked. She ran to the next door, but it was locked too, as was the next and the next door. Oh no, she cried. I'm locked out and I have no place to go. This palace is no longer my home. The princess knew that only the front door remained unlocked. I can't possibly use the front door, she thought. Everyone will know how foolish I've been. Everyone will look at me, and I look just like them. So she waited and waited, trying desperately to think of some way to go out of this terrible mess. Finally, too sore, too hungry to think any longer, she gave in and headed for the front door. With torn clothes, filthy hands, and a tear-streaked face, she lifted her hand and knocked once, slowly, timidly. Before she could muster the courage to knock again, the door cracked open. Hanging her head in shame, she could only see his feet. But she knew instantly that they were his feet. It was him, her dad, her father, the king. She fell at his feet and cried, I'm sorry, Daddy, I'm so ashamed of what I have done. Gently, the king knelt down beside her and pulled her into his strong, comforting arms. Come here, my child, my princess, he said. But I'm not a princess anymore. I I'm just like them, she sobbed. Ah, oh, my child, he said, you may have acted like them, but you are not one of them. You are mine, and you will never be happy until you accept both the privilege and the responsibility that goes with belonging to me. That night, after he had dressed her wounds, he tucked her into her soft bed and kissed her goodnight. 
He had even helped her to clean the mess she had left in her room. As she settled into the soft quilt, she thought about how much she liked being a princess, the daughter of a king. As the king walked out of the room, the dim nightlight softly illuminated his royal robe, which was now smudged with her dirt. Tears filled the princess's eyes. Look what I've done to the king's robe. Never again, she whispered, apologizing to the king. Sensing her broken heart, the king turned and spoke softly. Yes, my child, there will be other times, but I will open the door every time you knock, and I will always love you ever again. And this story has no end. That is a beautiful story, and tonight I believe that we have many daughters of God sitting right here in this room. And if you're not a daughter of God yet, I pray that this weekend you are going to become one. See, as his daughter, we might be in any of these places that this young princess was in. Maybe tonight you're in a state of rebellion, just wanting to do your own thing. Maybe you're in the middle of sin, and you're really enjoying it, being just like them. Maybe you're in a state of despair. You're broken and dirty from the sin that you've allowed yourself to get entangled in. Maybe having come to your senses, you realize, oh, I really need to get back to my father. But you're so ashamed, and in reality, you don't know how to approach him. Or maybe you're here tonight and you're being held by your loving Father and you're just enjoying His acceptance of you in a sweet and comforting way. You know, I love the line in this story where the king says, You are mine and you will never be happy until you accept both the privilege and the responsibility that goes with belonging to me. You know, you think about that. The king said to her, You are mine. You know, consider this. No matter where she was at, whether she was in rebellion, enjoying sin, despair, repentant, or even back in the palace, enjoying being a princess, enjoying being a daughter of the king, in every place, he was still her father, and she was still his daughter, and that did not change. Remember, we're adopted by God. My two children are adopted, and I will tell you, they are mine no matter what they do and they drive me crazy sometimes just like yours do they are still mine and they always will be and what a difference it can make in our lives when Jesus himself when our king speaks right into our lives and he says you are mine and we know that we grab a hold of that deep in our hearts you know this story that we just read it was really just a parable about those who have actually received Jesus and become a daughter of God. Those who have been adopted into this family, taken out of being a child of sin and adopted into his family. You know, remember in the Garden of Eden, even for Eve, there was a privilege of being in that garden, but there was also what? A responsibility. And even now, ladies, as his daughter, we have the privilege of being adopted into his family, but we also have the responsibility as well. The difference is from us 
and Eve is that now we live under a covenant of grace. We live under a covenant of mercy. We live under a covenant of adoption as his children. And even though we still sin sometimes, even though we leave the palace and we say, oh, I'm going to go out today and I'm going to do my own thing, as we return to him, because we live under that covenant of grace, we come back into a place of forgiveness and mercy. And our Father just pours that out back on our lives. And don't you know it is a sweet thing when you know that forgiveness and that mercy being poured out on your life. You know, our God, the King, knows we're going to struggle, doesn't he? He knows that. He knew that before he ever even created the world. And he would like nothing better than to pour out his grace and mercy upon us. And I know that probably in a room this size, there are some women who haven't become a daughter of God. You haven't received Jesus. But in this room also, I know there are a lot of daughters of God. I saw you worshiping your king tonight. I saw you lifting your hands to him and just coming in to his presence. But you know, we all have stories of times that we have wanted to just get out of the palace and just got to break free and do our own thing. I mean, I have a story. Mine includes a rebellion as well. It was a subtle rebellion, but boy, it produced a lot of destruction in my life. I'll tell you more about that tomorrow. But the question for tonight is, are you his daughter? And if so, what is your story? What is your story? How have your choices, what goes on in your mind, your will, your emotions, what goes on with your body, how have they affected you? You know, I get to spend a lot of time in airports, and I love to people watch. You just see some really interesting stuff. And, you know, it gives you a lot of things to talk about, too. But uh, So sometimes those layovers are good things. But a couple weekends ago, I was coming back from Florida, you know, and I was also working on these messages then. And I was just sitting there kind of watching some women. And I saw this beautiful girl just sitting over here, and, and I looked at her, and I was just thinking, I wonder if she's a daughter of God. And then she pulled out this novel, and it was obviously from the cover. I mean, it was just smut. It was filthy. And I thought to myself, I wonder if she's a daughter of God, and she's just gone out of the palace doing her own thing, or if maybe she's never received Jesus into her life. I saw this other mother who, just from some other interaction that I watched with her children, I knew that they were believers, and one of her children disobeyed her, and she brought him up on her lap, and she disciplined him in such a godly way. And I thought, how beautiful is that, that she has learned such wisdom from her father. And then I looked at these other girls who were traveling from a college in Virginia, and they were high, uh, college girls, and they were sitting there talking about how much they loved voodoo dolls. And my heart just broke as they were talking about all the things going on with him. And I kept saying, Lord, let me in on the conversation, please. You know, but he, he didn't do that. But I thought, you know, I wonder what God, he probably knew better. But I wonder what God thinks sometimes as he looks down upon us. You know, what is our story? See, we can watch other people, but what is our story? See, just like this young princess, just like Eve, we're deceived into believing our choices are going to bring great things for us. You know, when Eve looked at that fruit, she saw that it was a delight to the eyes. It was desirable to make one wise. It was good for food, and she took it thinking she was going to get good stuff. And look what happened. Look at the trickle-down effect for all of us. And that's the same thing that many of our choices, as we run out of the palace thinking they're just going to be great for us, they actually bring destruction. You know, whatever your story is, I want to make sure that as we begin this weekend, you know the good news. And the good news is that our loving Father has stepped into our world, into the places where we've messed things up, and he's come to rescue us. 
But even after we become his daughters, there's still going to be times he's going to have to go on a rescue mission for us. Just like this king went out into the village where his daughter was among the common people doing things just like them because he wanted to rescue his rebellious daughter from herself. Whatever your story is, ladies, and I don't know you all, so I don't know what it is. And maybe you're the only one here that knows your story. Maybe there's things going on in your life that you haven't shared with anyone. The king has stepped into it, and he is willing to step into it. I want us to look at our passage for the weekend that's really going to be kind of like our theme passage over in First Peter, if you want to turn there with me. And as you're turning, let me just say this. You know, I know that a lot of times it doesn't feel like God has stepped into our story. See, we can have a lot of things going on in our lives. It doesn't always feel like he has crowned us with glory as we still live with death all around us, as other people are choosing death, sometimes it just feels like a big mess. And it's easy to feel like, even though you're a princess, that your crown is fading. I love how I've seen some of you women wearing those crowns. I just think that's just a really cool thing. But you know what? We're going to read here in 1 Peter 5. And this, this passage is really in its context it's about leaders in God's family and how leaders are supposed to love God's children and lead them in the truth but it goes on to say in verse 4 it says when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory you know I like to think of that the chief shepherd he is our father he's the king you know when he comes see it's great to have leaders in the church it's great to have leaders in our in the kingdom of God on the earth and boy they, they're, they're such a blessing you know but when you think about it ladies the leaders that that God has set up and he's ordained these authorities and and obviously he it's important to him as we read through this passage we'll see there's still people you can't put them up on a pedestal they're going to make mistakes just like you do and, and we need to get over thinking that people are going to be perfect because they're not. But see, when the chief shepherd appears, when God appears in your life, he is perfect. And you can look to him. And you know what? This says you're going to have an unfading crown of glory. In verse 5, it says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, this is basically telling us we need to submit to the authorities and the leaders that God has given us. It's only going to help us. In verse 6, it says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. See, when we yield to the leaders that God has put in our lives, what we're actually doing is yielding and submitting to the Holy Father, to our King. And he is the chief shepherd. He is God himself. These verses uh, keep pointing us back to him. Even in a world that is so full of sin and mess and issues that people have. In fact, these next few verses in verses 7 through 9 go on to describe some of these things. It, it says, cast all your anxiety upon him. And boy, as women, you can get some anxiety going, can't you? You know? Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. There's a lot of stuff. We're still living in a place where so many people are choosing sin. But verse 10 is where I want us to draw this to a close tonight and really look. See, ladies, as God's daughters, as daughters of the king, we've got to get a vision for what our life is supposed to look like. You know, we've all made poor choices. 
that relate to this story we read just a few minutes ago. But Jesus has come, and he's rescued us, and he's invited us back into the palace to adopt us out of our life of sin, and even after he adopted us, to come back after us time and time again to rescue us from sometimes the choices that we choose. God's given us leaders with a vision. But verse 10 is a vision straight from him that I hope that we are going to grab a hold of tonight and this weekend. Let me read it for you. It says, And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So you might have to suffer for a little while. But if we can see the chief shepherd coming into our lives and we can grab a hold, embracing this privilege of being a daughter of the king, embracing the responsibility, it's going to make all the difference as you walk through this place where there is a lot of suffering going on around. There is a lot of sin and garbage and junk going on around you. He's a holy father. And did you hear what it says he wants to do in your lives, ladies? He wants to perfect you. He wants to confirm you. He wants to strengthen you. And he wants to establish you. And those four words are going to be our focus as we move through the weekend and get into the word together. Remember that line of the king in the story? You're never going to be happy unless you accept both the privilege and the responsibility of belonging to me. And those four words are going to help us discover this weekend what the privilege is and what the responsibility is for us as his daughters. And I believe if we can grab a hold of that, and embrace it, it's going to make all the difference in the 2010 and however many more years the Lord gives you on this earth until he puts that unfading crown of glory on your head, okay? Praise the Lord. It's going to be a good weekend together, okay? Thank you for letting me be here in Texas with you today.